You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Coming to you live tonight from Atlanta, Georgia, this is Rico Mohammed. And tonight we have our special show check in with Chuck, the CEO of Traffic. Chuck Snow will be joining us tonight, which is always, always very informative, and I'm expecting it to be nothing but a blast, as it usually is. But before we get to Chuck, we're going to start off the show that we normally do in our normal fashion. And I just want to say this part as well. Um, here on the Rates and Lanes podcast, we are going to try to be more focused, and we're going to be committed to trying to provide you with the latest information to help increase your revenue by sharing tips, tactics, and strategies. As you all know, we're going to be discussing um, the national ratio of loads to trucks, the spot market rates, contract rates. And tonight, by having Chuck Snow on with us, we're going to have someone that has a vast amount of knowledge in the industry, not only on the trucking side of the business, but also on the brokering side of the business. So if you have any questions, don't hesitate. Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Go ahead and press that number one so we can get you in line, get you in queue, get your call screened, and you can get right up to talk to Chuck when we get ready to bring him on. And with that said, let's jump over into the trend lines for the week of September 28th through October the 4th. Freight availability rebounded 1.5% last week at the close of the month and quarter. National average rates for vans regained a penny. Flatbed rates rose $0.03 cents and reefer rates declined $0.05 cents compared to the previous week. That is the general overview of the outlook on the market. We're going to jump over into the U.S. van segment, and we're going to look into the demand for vans for this past week. And van freight availability surged 5% last week, and truckload capacity declined 5%, driving the load-to-truck ratio from 3.0 to 3.3 as a national average. And as you, if hopefully you've been following along with us, and as you can remember, um, from all the research that I've been doing since I started kind of really paying close attention to these load-to-truck ratios, as long as you are above 3 on in the drive-van segment, that's a pretty uh, stable and, and uh, robust market number. That three is kind of like uh, the indicator for the market. As long as you are at three or above, you can pretty much get decent rates regardless of where you are as long as that number is three and above, meaning three uh, loads to truck when it comes to drive-in. Uh, of course, across different segments, that may vary and differ a little bit, but the, the, the number three for drive-in seems to be the magic number. And for uh, reefers, the magic number seems to be closer to a five load, anything five and above, five loads to a truck. Uh, pretty much means that the carriers and the uh, the trucks have most of the negotiating power in that particular market. So when we're talking about these numbers, just try to keep that in the back of your mind, uh, jot that down, and, and uh, just so you can follow along with us. Um, there's also another note here that says that September van demand is up. The national ratio 
averaged 3.2 in September, a seasonal decline of 4.9% compared to August, and 13% above the level of September 2013. Both low posts and truck posts increased month-over-month and year-over-year basis. So that is all positive news when it comes to the van demand. Now, we talked about the demand, so naturally let's talk about some rates. The national average rate for vans rebounded one cent last week, back up to $2.03 per mile. Rates have remained above $2 per mile for most of 2014. Um, we're going to jump around the country, uh, tour around the country real quick the, uh, to give you some uh, indications of the average across the country. In Philadelphia, in the northeast market, have been averaging $1.99 per mile. Atlanta in the southeast market, these are drive-in numbers, $2.06 per mile. Midwest, $2.28 per mile on average. Out of Dallas, $1.78 per mile on average. And out of Los Angeles, $2.28 per mile on average. Moving right along, jumping over into flatbed. Flatbed ratio slipped. Uh, load availability of flatbeds lost another 3.5% last week, and capacity added 1.9%, yielding a 5.3% decline in the load-to-truck ratio. The ratio landed at 27.8 loads per truck, which may herald the state of the off-season in this high-demand segment. Um, load volume... This is the flatbed ratio up year over year. Load volume declined 12% for flatbeds in September compared to August, and capacity increased 5.6%, dropping the load-to-truck ratio by 16%. The ratio rose 71% compared to September 2013, however, due largely to increased demand. Let's look at some flatbed rates now. And flatbed rates rose $0.03 last week to a national average of $2.42 per mile. Despite declining low volume, demand remains strong for flatbeds in key markets, including Houston and Memphis, where rates are elevated for the season. So our tour around the country, coming out of Harrisburg, showing an average of $3.65 per mile for flatbeds and out of Atlanta. $2.69 $2.69 per mile on average. And Rock Island showing a $3.14 per mile. Houston showing $3.02 per mile. And Phoenix, Arizona rounds out the country's uh, average rate at around $2.08 per mile on the flatbed segment. Jumping over to the reefer demand, reefer freight availability rebounded 6.1% last week. And capacity slipped. 5.9%. So the load-to-truck ratio rose 13% to 9.9. The ratio indicates strong demand in the reefer segment with week-over-week increases in Chicago and Fresno. September ratio slips 11%. The, month, the monthly average ratio for September lost 11%, seasonally back to July levels of 9.0%. After a surprising uptick in August compared to the September 2013, the load-to-truck ratio was up 3.6% last week. I mean, last month, excuse me. Reefer capacity has strengthened on both month-over-month and year-over-year basis, but demand varies 
seasonally. And that is the caveat with the reefers. So let's look at some rates. The national average rate for reefers dropped five cents last week to $2.28 per mile. Rates were stable in central California. Despite increasing volume, outbound rates rose in Twin Falls. However, a typical trend in Idaho potato season. The tour around the country shows that the average out of Elizabeth, New Jersey, comes in at $2.30 per mile. Lakeland, Florida is showing a $1.40 average per mile. Green Bay, Wisconsin clocks in at $3.19 per mile. McAllen, Texas makes an appearance at $1.66 per mile. Say that fast three times. $2.15 coming out of Fresno is the average on the West Coast. And really quickly, let's jump over to our USDA truck market report. Just want to hit these markets really quick. And I advise you, if you are if you are a produce hauler or you can move produce, you really might want to start checking out that USDA market report. Just go to Google, put in USDA, USDA truck market report. It should return back as your first hit. And we just kind of gloss over and hit the highlights on this report while we're on the podcast, but you really might want to start looking in depth and so that you can start seeing what, what areas are starting to come into season and going out of season. Um, real quickly on this report that is showing, um, the really markets that are really hurting right now for trucks is Idaho, Merrill County, Oregon, and Columbia Basin, Washington. There are a couple of markets that are showing a slight shortage for trucks. Those markets are St. Louis Valley, Colorado, Upper Valley Twin Falls, Burley District, Idaho. Uh, Michigan is Irons. Minnesota, North Dakota. Nebraska. And those are the markets that are showing uh, the, those are the markets that are showing the um, where you might need to be for produce. And I'm checking my call queue. Let's see. And I think I got them back. Chuck, are you there? I'm here now, Rico. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear, my friend. I had you in the in, in the queue room, so you probably couldn't hear me. I apologize. I probably should have put you back in the other in the other room. No problem. So with that said, Chuck, we kind of we got through all our uh, little formalities and everything. Um, Glad to have you back on this week. Just want to let everybody know that that is on the line. If you have any questions whatsoever uh, for Chuck, go ahead and press number one so we can get you in the call queue. We can screen your calls and get you right up to Chuck. And with that said, Chuck, uh, the floor is yours. What's been going on in your world, my friend? Well, we've been uh, we've been busy. Uh, things are going well up here in Canada. I spent uh, on uh, Sunday was my 40th anniversary in the trucking industry and uh, I actually spent it on an airplane or at an airport most of it uh, flying out to our terminal in Calgary British Columbia or Calgary Alberta Uh, I had to go to a meeting there for Monday and uh, I just had to laugh because here it was 40 years later I was heading out west again but this way this time it was on an airplane and uh, ended up because of 
a uh, malfunction in the uh, with the controls in the airplane. Um, what should have when I was supposed to leave at uh, one o'clock in the afternoon, the flight never got out till uh, 7:40 that night. So I spent um, I actually spent my 40th anniversary of the in the trucking industry hanging around uh, Toronto's Pearson Airport. Uh, lots of fun. Uh, but I had to laugh when I did get there and I uh, went to the office on Monday morning. It, it, just the ambience of a um, Canadian Western morning uh, is just so different than anywhere else. And I just couldn't help but smile at myself uh, just looking around Calgary and it just, uh, some things never change. And it just kind of, it had that Western sunrise. There's just something about it. Um, but uh, getting away from that, Things up here are busy. We're facing the same issues as everybody else, uh, driver shortage, truck shortage, everything else. Um, but it's a good busy, and I don't mind it at all. Cool beans, Luke. I'd like to be uh, the first one, at least at least on the podcast, to congratulate you on your 40 years in the transportation industry. I, I tell you, you uh, that, that goes to show to everybody that's listening in that there's vast knowledge and experience on the line. Yeah, <laughs> some good experiences and some bad, but there there hasn't been too much we haven't been through. Um, and it's been, you know what, it's been a great run. Uh, I owe this industry a lot. It uh, it took me in at a time when probably a lot of other industries wouldn't have and embraced me, and I embraced it back. And I think uh, it's been a great relationship. Cool. Well, Chuck, I got a uh couple of real burning questions I was kind of having a little back and forth with a, a, a broker a little earlier today and uh, you know we were kind of having a little bit of a dispute about detention and he was telling me that my, my detention prices were a little outrageous um, and he mentioned something about a, a he, he mentioned something that I've never heard of and, and I'm not trying to proclaim that I'm a know-it-all so I'm going to ask somebody with a little bit more knowledge than I got uh, have you ever heard of this thing called a, called a, 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 a blue book Yes, I have. Okay. Where can we get a copy of this blue book? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'll have the, uh, right after the show, I'll get you, I'll tell you where to send away for it. Uh, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the Bible for produce truckers and for produce shippers. And uh, okay. the blue book, the blue book lays everything out. It's, and also it'll have names of, um, organizations on both uh, sides of the chart, uh, both the shippers and uh, and the truckers, and and their financial uh, stability and things like that. Uh, it's it's still used. Uh, it's pretty common in the produce industry. Uh, yeah, the produce. So is it so is it primarily a produce thing, or is it something across the function of all all uh, segments of trucking? As far as I know, it's geared to produce, fruits and vegetables. Mm. And, you know, okay. that, yeah, that's kind of a, a different business than hauling regular freight. It just, uh, for whatever reason or reasons, um, it's, uh, it's run totally different as an industry than, you know, hauling pallets of nails, uh, you know, okay. because you're dealing yeah, okay. with yeah, we were having a little bit. I'll just give you a little background. We had a little back and forth. Me and this, me and this broker did. We had a little back and forth about uh, the, the tension thing, and and he was saying that my rates were 
that I was wanting to charge for detention was unfair, and and I explained to him what was unfair was that I had an appointment. You know, I, I, it wasn't me that was the one that was waiting. I, you know, I added another truck on to my operation. My driver, we had an appointment for twenty three hundred uh, one evening, but we didn't get loaded until ten hours later, and and I kind of thought that was a little unfair. Um. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Did you not get loaded because the produce wasn't? Were you loading at a produce shed? No, it wasn't produce. It was actually, uh, it was actually meat. Um, it was, I don't it was know whether. The, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether the meat guys use the blue book or not. To tell you the truth, I don't think so. But they come under the same guidelines. And now maybe with meat, it's also the same thing as produce, where. They can't ship it unless it's down to a certain temperature. Remember when they when they're killing that uh, that meat, it's at 98.6 degrees or somewhere around there, and they've got to get it down to uh, somewhere about 34, uh, 35 degrees Fahrenheit in order to put it in your truck. Um, so if they've had some sort of an issue uh, at a packing uh, shed or a packing house and they're behind somehow they would keep you until they can get it chilled to the proper temperature. Now, what the demurrage charges are, uh, that's something you and I banter back and forth. And can I ask you what you were charging them an hour? Um, my initial thing that I, well, I have my rule circular is $100 an hour. Uh, I'm, I'm, I know it's a little bit higher than what some other people, some people, um, the median that I've been, from the research that I've done is around 50 bucks an hour. But I've also uh, have seen one of the things that I try to do is I try to go and find other trucking companies and try to find what what are other trucking companies, what is the competition charging in their rule circular, and that's kind of right. what I base mine off of. So I, I looked at and was seeing several of the other big boys were charging a uh, hundred dollars per hour for detention. So I say, hey, they can charge a hundred bucks an hour. I can charge a hundred bucks an hour. It's a truck is a truck. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. But you see, Rico, and what happens here is uh, that company, and I'm going to, you know, if it's one of those large uh, carriers uh, and he charges $100 an hour, chances are they may be giving you the work uh, because, or giving that broker the work because he does not charge the $100 an hour waiting time. Um, right. And that's how that broker got that business. So... I think it's one of those things that we've talked about this before. It's really good if you can have an understanding uh, when you take that load of, I will give you an hour or two or three hours free, and then after that, this is my charge. They can't dispute exactly. that. Exactly. Now, and, that's, and that's where that's where we were, I mean, I wasn't trying to, you know, I told them, you know, it's two hours of free time, and we disclosed that before we even, agree to take the load. And and one thing that I think that um just my opinion and, and you know I'm I'm just you know I, I got a I got a strong uh, opinion about the situation and, and but I'm but I'm not so married to my opinions that I'm not willing to listen to the voice of reason and and maybe say, okay, well, well I might need to make some adjustments here. But one thing that I'm that that I think that shippers and receivers and also brokers is, um, the thing that they have to realize is that you can't outsource accountability just because you may have, 
the communication is the key. If if you know if you give me if you want me to perform, you want me to you give me an appointment time, I'm going to be there. But if things change or something else, you know, the same courtesy that you would expect from me if something happens in transit, that that would be nice if it was, uh, you know, a reciprocity process. Yes, yes. You know, I, I couldn't agree more, and I think that at one time that was probably there. Um, and then we, and I think this is probably um, one of the challenges we've had since deregulating the industry. And I was, I got to tell you, I was one of the big proponents of deregulation. Um, and as I've told you before, be careful what you wish for. So we we deregulated, and there were all these big, big companies that were militant in what they charged because their suppliers, who were basically labor, were militant in what they charged. Um, and these guys had these companies had the rights; uh, they had actual rights to haul certain lanes and uh, certain commodities, and they were able to get the waiting time or the whatever uh, extra charges were involved. And then with, when we deregulated the industry, people got in and it was a race to the bottom. And we, as an industry, we destroyed all this and we're going to build it back up again over time. And I think this is one of the things that the driver shortage and the truck shortage is going to bring to the table is if you mistreat drivers, drivers aren't going to do that work into that particular plant. And that's going to that's going to be the game changer here, Rico. And right. I think then you're going to find that there are certain companies that are uh, they expect the world from truck drivers, but they don't want to give anything back. And you're going to find that first of all, and we're having it right here in in my our own company. We've had some customers up here in Canada, uh, some of them for as long as uh, 15, 20 years, who. <laughs> have taken advantage of a situation where uh, trucks were in great supply on the outbound going into the U.S. and uh, rates were tanked. They were, you know, they were in the toilet and they took advantage, which they, was good business. Now, all of a sudden, what they're starting to find is uh, nobody wants their work because they're not, it's not going into great places. The rates are cheap and it's difficult to unload and we're, we're telling these customers either you're going to pay a lot more for the service or you're not going to get yourself moved. And that's what we're finding. There's more, right now, there's more freight than there is trucks. You talk about that almost every week when you're talking about your rates and lanes. There seems right. to be a, overall, there's a deficit of, of truck per load. Um, so, therefore, the price has to go up. It's a free market. And when you live in a market, right. that, you know, free market, this is what happens. It's been bad for us as an industry overall for the last 30 years. Now, I realize that it's been good for, for some people. And in the last 30 years, we've seen uh, there were certain companies in the U.S. that were able to uh, come out of the corner fighting when deregulation happened, and they became mega carriers, and they've done a phenomenal job. Um, a lot died. And a lot of the smaller, uh, you know, the smaller ma and pa carriers and even mid-sized, they would go when things were good. Uh, they did very well. The second things got bad, they were out of business. 
and they weren't big enough to sustain the tough times. And we don't know how long these good times are going to last for. They could last for, um, you know, they could last for the next five years. They could last the next two years. We don't know. Uh, you know, th- that's the unknown. But as long as things are going well and the U.S. Uh, economy is chugging along uh, in a positive direction and there's positive job growth and people are starting to have money to spend, uh, factories are starting to hum again. We're watching the, the rust belts in your country get oiled and start to open up plants again. It's a wonderful thing. It's a reawakening of spring. Absolutely, and, and that and that's that's kind of my reasoning. So that's you know my you know like I said, I got a strong opinion about the situation, and, and I don't think that the the way that I think the tension and layover fees should be viewed is not as a penalty but as a deterrent, because for far too long, the the you know the shippers have had the upper hand, and and I'm not trying to um, put it. Draw a situation where it's got, always got to be one way or nothing like that. I think that there's an even-handed equity that can be met amongst uh, uh, shippers, brokers, and also carriers. But they have to keep in mind with when you're dealing with, uh, especially live loads and stuff like that, and live unloads, that doesn't have the flexibility of the drop and hook freight, and 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 that needs to have a certain amount of urgency on making sure that when you bring it in ex- ex- excess capacity to uh, get loaded or to get unloaded, that that needs to be, uh, like, priority job one. Uh, we had the issue on getting loaded on this one particular load, get to the location for, of course, that threw us being late for the original delivery appointment and through no fault of our own. So we had to, of course, with refrigerator freight, you know, most of the stuff works off appointment. So na- naturally now you got an extra day of a layover. <laughs> you don't kind of snowball. And, 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 you know, and nobody makes, you know, this is not benefiting me and it's not, I, I, you know, I understand that it's not benefiting the customer that's waiting on the freight, but then when we get there to unload, there are several docks that are empty. Um, no one is, um, no one has any urgency about getting the truck unloaded. And then the, the broker also did not relay the information to us that this facility, you had to have cash to be unloaded by the lumping service. They would not accept com checks. All fleet checks have <laughs> cash, and so it was. It was just. It was just uh, a, a nightmare. But I don't. I don't want to tie all night up talking about that little uh, situation. I got. Uh, we got a caller here that has a question that wants to ask a question about negotiating with brokers. So let's jump over to the caller from seven one four. They didn't put your name up here, caller. So what, what's your name? Where you, where you calling from? My name's Chuck, and I'm calling from West Virginia. I'm out of Atlanta, though, and and uh, you helped me the other day, Rico. I was over there on a on a load, and I I got detained at at my first stop until my second appointment time at the same company, just a different DC. And when I got over there, they said, oh, "You know, I have to reschedule." So there was no fault of my own. And you had gave me great advice, and I really appreciated that. And, uh, we, this was last Friday, and I, I, I negotiated. Yeah, I, get, I negotiated a, a fair price for for one day layover, and then, but uh, that that turned into be detention too. And then they tried to stick some freight back on my truck, and with no bill of lading, and that. Well, my question is, 
when I call you the broker and and we're talking and we're, we're uh, negotiating everything, the tension seems to be all in the shipper and the broker's hands. And I'd like to know how I, I do I send over my request on on. on you know, on my own contract to the broker and, and have him agree to those prices, or how do you do that? I think, really, <laughs> the best thing you could do to protect yourself, Chuck, is when you take that load, uh, give them a confirmation, give the broker a confirmation back with your terms, okay, and get them to sign it. This is my terms. I will do the load. I will pick up in uh, Atlanta, and I will deliver to Pittsburgh, and I will do it for $2,400, and I will pick it up on uh, Friday, and I will deliver on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. My terms are two hours free for loading, two hours free for unloading, and I want X number of dollars per hour for anything after that or part of uh, thereafter, uh, and get them to sign it. Say, I need it signed so you agree with this, and you can work it from there. I, I think that... One of the things we have on, on our brokerage side is, yeah, we have, uh, we have waiting time, and Rico and I have discussed this frequently. Um, we have carriers with waiting time, and it's very difficult for a broker to pay waiting time when the customer won't. And this is a problem in cer- uh, more so with refrigerated equipment for some reason. Um, it's just the way it is. Now, I do understand part of it, and it's got to change, but part of it is when you're loading at a produce shed and you've got hot produce um, and it's got to cool down and it's got to be, you know, to your satisfaction that that freight isn't hot or you're going to have a clean. So it's in everybody's interest, but I think sometimes the produce sheds, when, when um, when they're picking produce, and it's 110 degrees in Yuma, um, and they know darn well they're picking at uh, 7 in the morning, why the heck are they telling trucks to come into the shed at 10 o'clock in the morning? That stuff's not going to be cool by then. No, that's irresponsible. I think everybody needs to get on the same page. You know, we're really, we're on the same page. We should be on the same page because they grow it, they pick it, we truck it, another guy sells it. We're all in this together. And if one right. of us messes up, it ruins it for the, in, you know, the entire chain. So why are people trying to mess us up? We've got this ridiculous thing with the hours of service that gets getting stupider every year. Um, and it's just the way it is where we can't even split our hours anymore the way we right. used to. So you, know, you start your day, you start your day. You spend uh, five hours waiting at a shed, you could be driving some of those hours. We all know that. And exactly. why are they wasting our time? You could be sitting in the truck stop sleeping or resting before you go over there. Why are they doing this to us? Right. And, and I think that, again, I think one of the, one of the positive things that's going to come out of the crap we're going through right now is that we're going to have uh, more uh, respect towards the trucking community from from everybody because, you know, all of a sudden the, the truck is the most important thing because you can grow all the produce you want. If you don't have a truck to haul it, it's not worth anything. 
and especially into certain out of certain regions like California, where it's gotten harder to operate because of uh, legislation, and you can't be driving around there with older equipment. Uh, you know, less and less smaller carriers want to service that because of the cost of equipment. Now, I have noticed that there's been uh, recently there's been some big investments made by some of the larger carriers to expand their refrigerated uh, divisions. Uh, I'm guessing because they see the potential in California now that some of the smaller carriers can't afford to compete. So that may be a game changer up the road, but you still need drivers that are willing to do it. And then add on the complexities around electronic logbooks. And that, right. again, right. they've got to use they, they really, everybody has to start getting used to being on site. This thing does not work. And you can't have hundreds of thousands of trucks in the United States breaking the law. It's not going to work, exactly. obviously. So that's my biggest contention that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm trying to get across to some of these brokers. I mean, the broker kind of took it like I'm being, you know, that, that I was just really trying to be an idiot towards them. And I'm, I'm telling them, I'm like, look, I'm trying to really head this thing off at the path, and you need to be doing likewise to your customers because what's going to happen when this thing comes to a head when you don't have compliant carriers out here to load and then, out, then the vicarious liability lawsuits that, that, that just go crazy by you just willy-nilly loading anybody, the, the, the $500 layover fee that I'm charging you or the, or the $100 detention fee I'm going to charge is going to seem like one hell of a bargain once you're sitting in the courtroom and, and you get some of these crazy judgment, judgments that are coming down that I've been reading about. Yeah, they're scary. You know, it's, um, it's getting crazier all the time. You know, you used to just be able to be for the limit, you know, for a certain limit, but now uh, the, it seems like the sky's the limit with these, you know, these lawsuits. You've got uh, all sorts of lawyers that are throughout the United States that are making it a damn good living, uh, and they're really glorified ambulance chasers, um, exactly. you know, living off, uh, you know, living off these liability suits. And it, it's to the detriment of everybody. And all we're trying to do as an industry is get product to market. We're not, you know, I don't think we're out there to commit crimes, guys. We're out no. there to, to service a need. And this is the thanks we get. It's a little bit frustrating. You work your, you know, and I look at people. I have a friend of mine up here in Canada, and he hit a drunk driver and killed him. And, uh, and this poor man's life has been ruined. Uh, because and he what he did mess up in the fact that uh, his logbook was it wasn't a hundred percent perfect, but the police apparently had let this drunk go forty five minutes earlier because the cop didn't want to uh, do the paperwork because he was going off shift. Wow, <laughs> and I'm sure there's cases like this all over the continent, um, and we're sitting ducks because we're operating trucks. So yeah, yeah we, we got don't want. Okay, uh, well, Chuck, Chuck, did you uh, did you, you had any, you had a follow up for Chuck? Uh, well, I guess uh, I just need to write write on the confirmation sheet, or should I have my own printed out, my own requirements after I've, uh, you know, I'll bring it up with the broker and say this is what I charge and this is my service fees if I'm on time and. And your shipper can't load me up and within, 
you know, I think two hours is, is ample. I mean, unless you like to stay in those produce fields, it's all up for game. Usually you're getting paid good, and I, I anticipate waiting there anyway, but uh, I'm talking about more of the uh, food distribution centers are, are nightmares. That oh, yeah, I was on the other day that the shipper messed the whole load, and they wouldn't let me on the dock. They held me there for three hours. I was able to make my my uh, appointment on time by half an hour. They held me for three hours until the point that I was late. For They didn't dismiss me until my next stop was due. And when I got over there three hours late, oh, no, you rescheduled. So that's what I didn't know what to do. And then... Then there, they, I was. I stayed in their parking lot, spent my break in their parking lot, my ten hours. I got my appointment there, and and uh, it took them four hours. The whole truck was a mess. It was all the shippers' fault, but it created it created a problem for everyone: the broker, the carrier, and the receiver. But and here well, I am. I've spent, I, I got a lot of time in on on the, uh, three hours picking it up. Uh, three hours delivering the first stop and four hours delivering the second stop, and a, and it's uh, almost a eighteen hour wait. You know, Chuck, I got to tell you something. This smacks right in the face uh, of the whole thing of why we have a driver shortage. <laughs> just yep. what you, this experience that you have just uh, told us, and and I'm imagining it because we've all been there, and you imagine somebody that. Is just you know he's got some maybe he's having some challenges at home and the money's not in it and he has this happen a few times that guy's going to take that truck and either give it back to his boss or give it back to the uh, to the dealer or whatever he's not going to do this work anymore and people need to stop mistreating drivers right and and uh, the other thing is did. The uh, lumper fees, I've never heard of this, but it just got slapped in my face here in the last week where I, uh, I mean, I usually pay cash for, for my lumper and and get reimbursed. Well, that load alone was $365, and if I want to get my money back, my lumper fee, I've got to pay a $20 fee check or comm check fee or wait the 30 days or take a percentage out of it. So I can't get my money back to unload the, the broker's freight or the shipper's freight for 30 days or until they pay. You know, I don't do the quick pay or factoring or anything. And, and this is this reason. I, I Most of the time, I've always gotten a comm check issued right there, so I never had to pay the money. But the brokers seem to not be wanting to play that game anymore. They want to use my well, money. This whole uh, this whole lumper game, I don't even know how it's I don't know even how it's legal. Um, I thought you people in the United States had something called the IRS that was after, and somehow this thing uh, this thing is well and live and living, uh, you know, living and breathing. Uh, it's just it, it it just doesn't make any sense to me. But we live it uh, every time we deliver to certain chains. I don't know how. Right. I don't know how it still exists. Uh, I, I want to one thing. I'm going to jump in real quickly. Uh, uh, and Chuck, we appreciate your call. Um, 
the one thing that, that we have to realize that most of the people that are on this call, when, you know, and I realize that we're not going to get 100% of the industry to kind of come over to our side of thinking or whatever, but I think that most of the people that are listening to this call are people that have the, um, that, that want to be leaders in this industry. They don't consider themselves to be, um, you know, truck drivers per se. Uh, most people listening to it, you know, because sometimes, you know, truck driver comes across with a little, little bit of a negative connotation to it. And most of us, we, you know, I think of myself as an entrepreneur, as, as, a, as a motor carrier. Uh, truck driver, and it's kind of further on down the list of descriptions that I would want to label myself. Um, but it's going to take, you know, being an entrepreneur, uh, you got to learn to be uncomfortable and you got to learn to accept risk. Uh, risk comes with the territory, and you have to be willing to say, okay, well, if I don't like the practices that somebody is doing or if we're trying to change something, change is not going to be met just without any resistance. So it may come at a sacrifice of losing some business. Um, that's a reality that we, you know, if we, if we're going to try to change some of the uh, antiquated policies that are in, in place in the trucking industry we got to be uh, willing to accept that. Um, Chuck, you got any comments on that? i got another caller. i got a question for you real quick. I totally agree with you. Um, and you know what? Let, let somebody else haul those customers that are going to abuse the drivers um, and see how long it takes them to come back to you with the rate you want or need. Uh, you know, this is, not, um, this is not slavery. You're not obliged to haul for them if they're mistreating you. We're service exactly. providers. Exactly. If you don't get what you want, if you're not getting what you want, you pull your gear and go somewhere else. And we're going to jump over and go to Peter. Peter calling in. Peter, you're on live with Chuck. You're checking in with Chuck and Rico. Chuck and Rico, how are you? Greetings from Toledo. Hey, I will be how are you doing, Peter? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Happy anniversary. Well, thank you very um, much. I'm a broker. I work both sides, dispatch and broker. And as trucks are getting tighter and, you know, the hours of service have shrunk. So now when, you know, drivers a lot of times used to say, hey, driver can go 500 miles in a night. Now it's 460, 470. And back when we used to say 500, drivers would do 550, 560, sometimes 6. But now with electronic logs and everything tracked, I'm, I'm kind of wondering what's your guys' opinion on this. There's a lot of shippers and brokers who will set a driver up for failure. They'll say, hey, come into the dock. They know their guy doesn't get, get them in and out in four hours, five hours. And then they say, hey, you got to be there at six to get unloaded. Otherwise, you're stuck here for another 18 hours. And in the real world, which is everybody but us, it seems like you would be civilly at least held responsible if there was an accident, if not criminally. How long do you think we're going to see that until that happens? It's right around the corner. Um, there is already been... There was that famous lawsuit, uh, I believe, against C.H. Robinson where they, uh, they had a driver that they pushed and they ended up, I think it was, Rico, tell me if I'm wrong, it was a $52 million lawsuit, a driver that had no hours, left or didn't have enough hours, and they tried to push her, and there was a fatality as a result. Um, in your country, uh, throughout the U.S., you've got all this precarious liability, um, and there's there's a liability, and I think what you're going to find is the good shippers, and I'm talking about the the Coca Colas and the PepsiCo's of the world, and and companies like that. They're going to be 
they're going to be responsible. They're going to say they're going to be accountable. Um, they're going to, you know, you're going to pull up to their dock. They're going to make sure that you are who you say you are. Uh, and they're going to get you in and out in a timely fashion. And I think that the, the lousy shippers, uh, they're the ones that are going to take four hours or five hours to take three skids or four skids off a truck and all the rest of that nonsense. And I think that what we do is we just say we don't service you. That's all. That's the, that's yeah, the other and, guys. And one thing that just to jump in real quick, Peter, I think that um, as far as if you get a driver that that's, has a fresh, uh, starting out fresh on his hours of service, I think that if you uh, just say 57 miles per hour, nine hours, just say nine hours of driving, he should be able to 550 miles. I don't think it's unreasonable for someone that is starting out with fresh hours, provided they have uh, optimal traffic conditions. Now, if you got off, you know, if you got problems with traffic or whatever, then you know, you, of course, that's going to throw you off a little bit as well. But um, I think that if you got someone on fresh hours, you just got to always be mindful of if you got someone that's delivering that day that has already started out on their tour of duty and they're picking up a load for you. Uh, you, in the in the process of the negotiation, you might want to, you know, quality questions give get you you get quality answers from quality questions, and that's not only on the broker side, but I feel like that's also on the carrier side. We as as carrier as business as business individuals, we have to start asking really quality questions, and not just the top layer questions. We we and, and you know maybe we should sit down and and brainstorm before we get ready to negotiate on a load or whatever, what, what are the deeper questions that I need to be asking a driver or do I need to be asking the broker? Uh, what do I need to be letting the broker know? Hey, I've already started a tour of duty. I only got about five hours left. You know, or, you know, can we really make this work for you and what, what you need done and for what, and for what I have the uh, legal capacity to deliver? Um, you know, we got to start, we really got to start drilling down on those questions. I thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Chuck, we got a question, uh, you know, with all this other stuff that we've been talking about tonight, I had a question, uh, a burning question that, uh, and we kind of been touching on it a little bit, um, and I wanted to kind of bounce this off of you. How should carriers, uh, you know, be determining what they should charge customers? Well, number one, I think the I think one of the things uh, that we're talking about now is if it's um, there's a lot of conditions here. It's you know uh, there's a lot of seasonality involved here, and and I really think that we're getting more and more into a supply and demand thing for pricing. Um, it's pretty dangerous unless you're going to price high, or you really know for a fact. If you know for a fact you have a a steady deal from um, Atlanta to Memphis every single week, and you know you're in Memphis uh, 52 weeks a year, then you're safe to say to a customer in Memphis, um, well, I can bring a load back to Atlanta for X number of dollars if you have that certainty. But if you're, you know, if you're running reefers and you're going with the hordes, it's all you're going to have to price according to seasonal demands and supply of trucks. Um, I think, you know, unless you're doing specialized freight or something else. 
It's all based on supply and demand. And the other thing is you have to, uh, you have to figure out when you're pricing something, how long is it going to take to load? How long is it going to take to unload? Um, you know, how far is the run? Uh, we have a, uh, we have this misconception within our industry that I still can't figure out of the further you go, the cheaper it is per mile. Now, I certainly understand why when you're running a 300-mile line haul, you, you've got the same pickup and delivery cost, basically, as you do with a 2,500-mile line haul. It costs you the same, so you've got to charge more money per mile. But why the heck people drop their pants and they want to run from coast to coast for next to nothing because it gives them miles? Uh, no offense to anybody out there, but your trucks are all stupid. They don't know that they're going to California or Florida or anything. They're trucks, and they're not going to drink less fuel because they're going further. Yeah, you're going to do more <laughs> revenue that week, but... You know, your operating costs are still up there. If, if, if anything, they could be higher because, you know, you're pounding pavement at uh, 60 miles an hour, 65 miles an hour, and, uh, you know, you're, you're consuming fuel. So that's one of the things that I think hurts an awful lot of carriers, especially smaller ones. They don't price things right. You know, they, they get so excited at the fact of sending trucks long because you only have one dispatch. You have a happy driver because he got his miles in. But for some reason, the freight pays a lot less going at 2,500 miles than it does 1,200 miles. Right. That's, that, that's another thing that when I first got started as an independent that I, that I couldn't understand. Uh, you know, I, I think I've told that story. I think I might have beaten that horse to death. We got Joe uh, has a question. Uh, I don't know if he's a broker or they, he got it in here, but Joe, you're on live with Rico and Chuck. How can we help? Hey there, Rico and Chuck. This is Joe Cox. Uh, part of the problem I see out there is, you know, you have to know your numbers, like Chuck was saying. You have this is a money, this is a numbers game. Doesn't matter how you add them up, the numbers are what make or break you. Uh, as much as you can make money in a day, you can lose it in an hour. Uh, and, Amen, and, and brother. The part of the, and the part of the thing with this people going into these places that want to abuse the trucks, it's a truck's market. Don't be rude, but let the broker know. you got two hours. This is my detention. If he argues with it, say, okay, that's fine. Two hours from now, if I'm not loaded, close the doors, go away. Be very polite and just yes, say, see you. You had your chance. Do not be afraid to walk away. Because if they're going to screw you after the fact of that time, when you get to the other end and they screw you, uh, you had your warning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you knew I was a snake when you picked me up. That's why I bit you. It's the same. <laughs> That's right. you, know, you, know, you know, Rico, the big issue I had with uh, the TQL last week, we're still, they're still calling us every day, begging us to haul freight. Even that big <laughs> issue I had with them last week, you can, you know, they need us. We, we need them, but they need us worse than we need them. So do not be afraid. You know, go through them. Be nice. Do your part. Get it spelled out. I charge seventy-five dollars an hour detention. But do not be afraid when they're going to abuse your truck. Close the doors and walk away. Say, hey, nice doing business with you. We'll, we'll have it another another day. Exactly. Yes, yeah. sir. I, I completely agree. You have, you have that right to do that. What's that? 
that's your right to do that. It's your God-given right because it's your God-given truck. And uh, now you have every right to demand that. I got a question oh, yeah. you, uh, uh, along those lines. Along those lines, what we just talked about. Two hours show up, they have went by, haven't been loaded yet. You can close the doors and leave. Now, now, Chuck, putting on your broker hat right now. We're going to take off the motor carrier hat. Put your broker hat okay. on for us, Chuck. Now, how how do you view that motor carrier if that if, if that happens? Well, one of two ways. If he, if he said to me right off the bat, he said, I'll go in there, I'll give you two free hours. After that, it's X number of dollars an hour. You need to understand that. Then I know what I'm dealing with when I went in there. When I signed my deal with that particular carrier, I know the deal. So... Maybe I'll even go above and beyond and call the shipper and say, listen, I know you screw everybody around, but don't screw this guy because it's going to cost you. Now, when oh, somebody and, pulls and, and, and I have pulled out of the dock before, and the shipper has come out and got me and said, where are you going? I said, the deal was I gave him two hours. I said, whether or not the broker conveyed that to you is not my concern. I, and they have backed me back in and loaded me. Yeah. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty amazing, you know. It's uh, sometimes you have to do that, and you can you can do it in this market at times. You got to remember, and I'll say this to all the listeners out there: if you know, if there's a, a thousand trucks in Florida, and you happen to get a load, and there are you know there are no loads, don't be doing this, okay? Because you know now all of a sudden the tables have turned. Okay, and if you pull away, there'll be 999 other trucks waiting for that load. But if you know darn well that there's a shortage of trucks where you are, then you demand that respect, <coughs> and you'll get it. Oh, yeah, and you just tell, you just come to an agreement with the broker, and that's where the communication, you say, this is my terms, two hours, and you char I charge the detention. If they say, well, we don't pay detention, I say, well, okay, there again. I got two hours of free time if I'm not loaded after that point. Uh, this is my policy. I leave because I don't sit for free. It, you know what? If they say I don't pay detention, say I need it. So that's the broker's choice and your choice making a deal with somebody. You're negotiating. Uh, I don't pay detention. Well, I don't work without detention. So either you pay it. If you want the truck, you can have it. It's here. That's right. This that's is right. The, these are the terms. It's just like if you go rent a car at the airport from Hertz, and they make you sign a waiver in it that you're not going to smoke. And, and you bring the car back and you've smoked, you broke the terms. You're going to have to pay exactly. $250 or $500 for them to get that smell out of the car. It's the same thing. You knew damn well you signed it. Uh, why'd you smoke? It's no different. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Uh, Joe, you got anything else? I got, a, got another call. I want to get in real quick. No, sir. You gentlemen have a great night and happy anniversary. Thanks a lot, Joe. You take All care. Right. Be safe. Yeah, bye-bye. Appreciate it, Joe. Thanks for the call. And uh, Bruce, let's see. Bruce is calling in. Bruce, you're on live. You're checking in with Chuck and Rico on the Racing Lanes podcast. How can we help? How you doing, Rico? Good evening, Chuck. Hey, Bruce. How are you? Hey, I have a couple kind of almost statements or observations I've made in trucking being in this business for 35 years. Oh, you're um, a newbie. Yeah, I'm a newbie. I'm kind of like you. Almost got as much time as you do. As you. Go ahead, Bruce. Uh, one thing I noticed, and I've hauled food products 
when I used to haul meat and other food products to grocery warehouses, everything was on a first-come, first-served basis. This appointment thing was unheard of. And so everybody got to the distribution center as quick as they could because they knew for each different commodity they had, first truck with a meat load got unloaded first. Second truck waited till the first truck was done. And I found out that that system worked as good or better than our appointment system we have now because to the grocery warehouses especially, the appointment system is a suggestion. Whereas if they're... If the truck isn't there at the appointed time, it's a hard and fast rule. And so yep. somehow we, we in the industry have to change attitude that they have that our truck is a portable warehouse for their products. <laughs> Very true. Yep. You know, another observation I've made is that you, know, you were talking about the, the lumper services earlier. And it was all done with cash on the barrel head to some guy who, who picked up off the street. Well, now it's done by staffing agencies, and I'm using that term loosely. But everybody has hired an outside company, so nobody has any liability for workers' comp, taxes, that kind of stuff. Liability or accountability. Yeah. Consequently, the, the warehouse is managed by some company who is operating it for the grocery warehouse chain, who then they subcontract the labor to another service, and about the only people who actually work for the grocery warehouse chain there are the guys that do the checking in of the product, and they're so understaffed that it might take them four hours to get your product checked in, even though it's been sitting on the dock for three and a half, and they won't let you go until it's wanted. So, you know, this is like Rico said, the no accountability to anybody has really hurt the industry. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I think you've hit it right on the head there, Bruce. But uh, part of it is because I think in some cases it appears to be an awful lot more cost effective for the, the grocery chains, and, and, you know, I hope I don't get sued for liability on this one, but it's the Walmartization of our, of our retail environment. You know, when you go to the checkout counter here up in Canada, we used to have these women that made a career out of it, and now we get a, a young high school uh, student there that isn't really serious about the job, and they're paid minimum wage. And the service is deplorable sometimes as a result, and they don't show up for work because it's not really a job. And they've got they better things make, to do. And if you don't swipe your card, they don't know how to make change if you hand them some cash. Isn't that the truth? Um, but that's what we're working in, you know. And, and I could go on all night about the stuff we're seeing with trying to deliver with appointments. One of our biggest challenges, I'll just put this out there, we're up in Canada, and we get a shipment on a Thursday or a Friday destined to California, and it's a less-than-truckload frozen shipment of, of six skids of uh, frozen uh, apple tarts. And we have to make an appointment online. And we don't hear from anybody until 11.30 p.m. Saturday telling us 
that they want the stuff in there uh, at uh, 7.30 on Monday morning. Well, we're still up in Canada. We're 2,650 miles away. How the heck are we supposed to make this happen? And my poor customer gets dinged for a fine. And, you yeah. know, and we're all up against this. The, the customers are, are suffering as well, the shippers. Um, it's, you know, we have become, with all this, these wonderful uh, systems and everything, I think it's taken us down the world of becoming a third Yeah, we're, we're fast becoming a third world country rather than a first world country. Oh, yeah, we're losing our, our position there because of all this nonsense. This is stuff that we would talk about when we were young that went on in communist countries, you know, behind the Soviet bloc, uh, you know, how wrong they were. And now these guys are getting it right, and we're getting it wrong. Yeah. Another, another observation I've made, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going to ask you if, if you're seeing this up in, in Canada like I've, uh, I think I'm observing it here in the States. One thing is, as, as the United States becomes more urbanized and less rural, most of our food commodities are grown in the rural areas. That's where the farms are at. And the consumption of these commodities is in the urban areas because that's where the people are at. Well, we have such an imbalance of freight in and out of states now anymore that it almost has to be a full-rate load going from the production areas to the, to the consumption areas because there's so little freight that you can take back to the production areas. You know, we had deregulation 30 years ago to try to break up some of the monopolies the big trucking companies had with their authority and protected rates. And I think we're coming back to that same pricing structure because, frankly, you can't, I mean, I don't use the term backhaul, but I live in central Kansas, and we grow all kinds of food products, but we, but we consume nothing because Kansas has no people, basically. And so to go to the East Coast, I almost have to charge a round-trip rate because coming back to Kansas is almost impossible to get a decent load that even is worth putting in the truck half the time. And I think you guys in Canada probably even more so because your prairie provinces have nothing but vast acres of cropland, which is food, that's but there's right. no we, one to eat it. That's right. Um, you know what? You've, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, that's exactly what happens in Canada. When we go out to uh, places like Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta, uh, they, they, now Alberta is, um, you know, they consume so much right now because of the, the oil. They're consuming uh, an awful lot. <laughs> Um, but they're not shipping anything out of there. It's right. very, very hard, and, and loads out of there pay, you know, they're, they're a dollar a mile on a great day. Uh, there's not a lot of good freight, you know, and if you, you've got a flatbed there and you put a load of sticks on, um, you know, they want to load you up with 47,000 or 48,000 pounds, and, uh, you know, they want to pay you 75 cents a mile on a great day. So, um, you know, it's supply and demand, and uh, you know, and I've lived this nightmare. It's funny. We had a uh, we had an operation about 20 years ago in uh, just outside of Kansas City at the Richard Gabar Air Force Base, uh, and a client of mine had asked us to open up there and, and domicile some trucks there uh, for his door production company, and he was paying us great rates at the time. 
which was a dollar forty a mile, which was unheard of at that particular time, uh, going into places like into Oklahoma and places like that. But the problem was we would get loads that were, if we got a load depth to travel 100 miles further west or south to get a load that took us 100 miles past where we needed to go, and they paid 90 cents a mile. And before we knew it, we were bleeding on that out of that deal. Um, so you're 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 right on the money, and the only way to get through that, you know, with something you're doing is you do have to charge enough on loads going into the East Coast to get home, even if you have to pick up a load in Jersey or wherever, going back to St. Louis or Kansas City, you still have those two or three dead deadhead uh, miles, two or three hundred deadhead miles from St. Louis or Kansas City back to your home base. And you need to charge for that, otherwise you won't last. And it's an well, ongoing problem. And, and that's hard to get, especially when you're dealing with mostly brokers. They can care less because their customer really could care less. You know, that's not their problem, at least the way they see it. But, you know, someday it may be their problem if they can't find guys to haul their freight anymore. Yeah, you know, sometimes you have to think a little bit outside the box. If, you know, if the freight's not good right out of your area, maybe you want to position your truck a little bit further, maybe 100 miles further uh, north or further east into a better freight zone and domicile your truck out of there uh, if there's nothing, you know, if it really doesn't work where you are and just run your car that extra 100 miles, leave the truck there and you don't, you know, you're not burning all that money, you know, just trying to get the truck home. Yeah, because, but the other thing is, and I like to work on my truck when I'm at home myself and if it's 150 miles sitting in some parking lot somewhere, then it's out of sight, out of mind and I don't do what needs to be done on it either, so. Oh, no, I understand that. You know, I mean, that, um, that but, yeah, that, you have to, but, what, what sort of, uh, what sort of freight do you haul? Mostly refrigerated food products. Okay, so you're, you're in the meat patch, so you must be getting loads out of, out of there somewhere, are you not? Well, I'm getting, actually, I get, I do better hauling out of a local dairy hauling milk products than I do out of meat because meat is, meat's, you know, 175 to 250 miles west of me and, you know, their rates going back east even out of there aren't that great because it, there's such competition for those loads because Denver, Oklahoma City, Albuquerque are all consumption areas and, you know, the big fleets will deadhead their trucks from Denver to Dodge City, Kansas, which is you know, 350, 400 miles just to get a meat load. Sure. I understand that. You know, I know so. ourselves. You know, sure. Uh, anytime we're in Denver, uh, for the most part, uh, we can count on a, you know, 350 to 500 mile deadhead to get back into what I call civilization. Uh, yeah. No offense to anybody on the line from, uh, from Denver, but it's, you know, again, uh, you guys in Denver consume, you don't make anything. <laughs> That's right. It's been that way since Denver started as a city. Actually, years ago, if you look it up, there was a, a company <laughs> called Momfort. Have you ever heard of them? Oh, yeah, the Montfort Lane on the interstate highways. That's You got it. Uh, most of the young guys won't know about that. Uh, but I think they used to do Denver to New York in like uh, 24 hours or something in the 60s and early 70s. That was their claim to fame. They had 
They had 350 Cummins in W or in W900 Kenworth, and those were the the fast trucks of the day. And they said the, the left lane was called the Montfort lane because Montfort's drivers paid enough tickets to keep <laughs> that lane paid for. Yeah, that was how it was called the Montfort lane years ago. That's right. <laughs> well. Um, I'm going to jump in really quick here, Bruce. Uh, I've, Chuck was in the middle of uh, giving his answer to one of your questions, and we just blew straight through that hour. Uh, we're kind of in overtime right now. We still got, I don't think people can call in, but I think that if you were on the line, it allowed everybody to stay on the line. Um, but the recording ended. I, I hate I didn't get a chance to get to promote uh, Chuck's blog, uh, but anybody that's still on the line, Please go check out Chuck's blog. Chuck, you got the web address for the for your blog? Yeah, it's www.traffics.com. All right. All right. Bruce, did you have anything else? I got uh, two more. Well, no, once somebody hit the button accidentally, and we got one more person that wants to get something in before we let you go, Chuck. No, okay. go but, ahead. Bruce, all right, I'm Bruce, taking up your time. Yeah. Nice talk, man. All right, let's go to Mike in South Carolina. He got he wants to talk something. You talking about detention there, Mike? You're on live. You're checking in with Chuck. You're on live. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just uh, somebody had said about detention. You know, if they don't want to pay it, don't haul it. But I've uh, I've gotten out of trucking a few times when the rates were pretty low, and worked in sales. And you don't ever, and I mean you're selling your truck. You hate to say no in sales. Uh, I'll tell them if they don't pay detention, I just say, well, I'll have to figure 10 hours at each end. You get two free, so that's 16 times 50. That's off that 800 to the rate. And then they usually want to talk about detention, <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> you know, my truck don't sit for free. I deadhead quite a bit, but, but I just, that's all I wanted to mention is instead of saying, sure. oh, get it, you know, that gets them thinking that, well, yeah, geez, that's, that's a creative way. That's a creative way to. That's that's a really creative way to to to, to uh, put it out there. I, I wish we could have got that on the recorded session. <laughs> I compliment you on that, Mike. That's brilliant. That's thinking. Well, that's really thinking outside the box. If, if you're selling, you don't want to say no, but you know, you, sometimes you want them to say no. <laughs> yeah, nothing definitely. else. They'll either say no, or they'll you know you can start negotiating. It certainly gives you a great position to nego- negotiate from. Yeah, I've never had anybody say, oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Not if he was going to pay his bill. <laughs> you know, because then you go, well, it ain't going to be 10 hours. Well, then pay it. That's well, Chuck, uh, hey, Mike, we appreciate it. That was a great contribution there at the end. Chuck, I really do appreciate you coming on with the check-in with Chuck Sessions. Uh, it, it always goes by super fast. Um, and it and it's really a highly touted, highly I get I always get asked when is Chuck coming back on? But the guys that are listening, uh Chuck comes on with us monthly. Uh we kinda got screwed up on the scheduling a little bit. And uh I think we're just gonna probably maybe keep it uh, keep it this way, uh Chuck. So I'm gonna uh, I think Seaton kinda likes third and and uh we got you on the second uh Wednesday of the month, so Next week, uh, transportation attorney Henry Seaton will be joining us on the Rates of Main podcast. So, if you got any questions about 
any legal issues in the transportation industry, uh, once again, we, we, we strive to try to bring you experts that can give you rock-solid information, not just anecdotal answers. Um, Chuck, with that said, you know, we're wrapping up. Anything you want to say? Any closing remarks? You know what? It's been a uh, it's been a great evening. I, I certainly enjoyed every second of it, um, and I always you know I always enjoy our our chats. And I wish everybody out there uh, a good week and, and be safe. All right, everybody, please go by and check out Chuck's blog at traffics.com, www.traffics.com. And with that said, good night, everyone. Oh, one more thing before we close out. Uh, don't forget our good friend and colleague, Chad Boblett. His show comes on tomorrow, Brokers and Beyond. And also remember Kenny Long's show, uh, Trucking with Authority, comes on every Tuesday at 7 p.m. And this is all part of Kevin Rutherford's blog, uh, 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 blog talk radio network. We are all on the network. We are trying to expand the network. There are more shows that are coming on board every day. Uh, so just keep your ears uh, peeled, your eyes open. Be looking for more and more content to be coming your way soon from all the different uh, Let's Truck team members. And with that said, we want to wish everyone a good night. God bless and be safe out there, everybody. Good night, Rico. Good night, Chuck. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.